Hey, good morning, Lake Hills Church. This weekend, Julie and I are visiting our daughter at college for Parents Weekend in beautiful South Carolina. And I've invited a member of our extended family to preach into this series as we continue Walk This Way. Galen Clark and his wife, Kathy, are incredible blessings to Julie and me personally, but I know also to our extended Lake Hills Church family as well. And this weekend, you're about to be blessed like I can't even describe as Pastor Galen comes to preach. Galen, of course, pastors the incredible Greater Mount Zion Baptist Church in Austin, and we are so honored to be on the same team participating in this amazing city together. So I want to ask you to do me a favor and make sure that we let him know how honored we are to have him, how much we love him. So right now, I want to ask you to stand up. Make some noise and put your hands together as we welcome Pastor Galen Clark. Woo. Now, what about Jesus? Let's give him some worship too. Come on. He's worthy of praise. Why don't we go to God in prayer while we're standing? Is that okay? Father, I pray that you would allow me to share with your people a gift of truth today that would last a lifetime. What I am seeking to do and what it is that this church is called to do and what they are doing in this particular message series, calling your people to walk in the steps of Jesus, it will not happen just because we try harder. It's going to happen as we believe in the power of the Spirit of God, as we give you a bigger yes, but also not rely on our strength. We've got to tap into strength beyond our resume, strength beyond our current capacity, and be filled with your power. This is what we need, and we pray that you would glorify yourself even now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated in the presence of our God. This is the day the Lord has made. I'm rejoicing. I feel taller up here. Y'all, you guys uh, elevated the stage, and I like it uh, because I've got height issues. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, this is great. This is great. Uh, I so appreciate um, your pastor and his wonderful wife, the first lady of this church. She probably hates that. My wife hates it when people call her first lady. But they do it anyway. Hey, first lady. And, but they do it anyway. And so, um, but Julie is wonderful and Mac is wonderful and it's so good to be here. Now let me tell you what I want to do today. I want to do exactly what your pastor asked me to do. He said, Galen, if, if you feel led, I want you to talk about obedience. Because that's what I'm talking about. I'm like, okay, well put the pressure on me, Mac. Put the pressure on me. But I think that's exactly what I'm supposed to do today. And it made sense when I came in and, and, and you guys were baptizing. This just made all the sense in the world. And so I want you to look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. If you have your Bibles, I'm sure they'll have it on the screen. Uh, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And you've heard this before, but I want you to hear it now as if you're hearing it for the first time. The key to the Christian life is remembering what we already know. Sometimes we can get so 
caught up in the pursuit of the next thing that we forget what we've already committed ourselves to. And so this is what uh, the Word of God says, Matthew uh, 28, uh, verses 18 through 20. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a lot of authority, right? He goes on to say, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. You probably ought to do it because he's the one in charge. That's what he says. Then he goes on to say, Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey how many things? Yeah, there it is. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I want to talk today about obeying it all. Obeying it all. George Borner used to coach his daughter's basketball team, and Borner said he learned a lot by coaching his girl's basketball team about God. One of the more memorable lessons that he learned was from another coach. He was playing his group of girls in a basketball game, and he knew this coach had a lot of good offensive players. And so he told his team, if we're going to win this game, we've got to play great defense. And so they practiced their defense all week long, knowing they were going to face a good offensive team. The game that he thought they may not win or to be very close turned into a blowout. The other team, they freelanced the whole time. They didn't see a shot that they were not willing to take. Everyone just did whatever uh, she wanted to, and they were completely disinterested in playing defense. Barna felt bad for the coach. It was a rout. He felt so bad that he went up to him afterwards to console him, and he said, I'm sorry that your team didn't execute the game plan. The other coach looked at him shocked and said, what are you talking about? He was puzzled. He said, what happened today is really what I expected to happen. My goal today was for the girls to have fun and to not get injured. And Barna said, I reflected upon that, and it occurred to me that when the game was over, the only team that was having fun was my team. I want you to say something with me. Say, losing is not fun. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. How are you playing this game of life? What are you doing in this game? You see, many people tell us, and the culture tells us, the purpose of life is just to have fun and to play safe. Don't get injured. And what I've discovered and what many are discovering is that when you live for fun and you live for safety, increasingly over time, you have less fun and you feel increasingly more vulnerable in life because you can't give yourself security. And if I live for fun, those things that I consider to be fun, they become increasingly less compelling to my heart and soul. And so those who live for fun and safety, they ultimately lose spiritually. And friend, listen to me. Losing, no matter what they tell you, on television is not is not fun at all now this is what Jesus is telling us in the Great Commission 
He's telling us how to play to win. He says, I'm going to teach you how to play this game. I want you to play the game like I play the game. I want you to be my disciple. I want you to follow me. And I don't want you to pick and choose what you're going to obey. I want you to obey it all. I want you to obey everything that I've told you. I don't want you to just go to church. I don't want you to just participate in church activities. I don't want you to have uh, just some mundane spiritual practices that you wrap around your normal pattern of life that is not much different from the culture. You know, we, a lot of times we have spiritual wrapping. And he says, that's not, what, that's not what I want you to do. I want you to focus your heart on obeying it all. Now, in this passage, we're dealing primarily just today with the back half of the Great Commission. We know people have got to make Jesus leader and forgiver, but the back half of the Great Commission teaches us, first of all, that for new disciples, they have to be taught it all. They have to be coached to live this life, just like parents are absolutely essential to help children live a successful life. Those who are going to walk with God, they have to be spiritually parented. You see, spiritual growth is a team sport. It's a lot less uh, like tennis and more like basketball. (laughs) Appropriate illustration right now. It's a lot less uh, like running an individual uh, uh, race in track and more like football. It's a team sport. And so the first thing he's telling us is that we have to teach it all. People have to be coached in this way. The next thing he says is that disciples have to long to obey it all. You see, teaching it all does not work unless you are talking to people who are willing to obey it all. and, and, and when you're talking to people who are willing to obey it all and there's a, a conviction and a passion to teach it all, then there is a dynamic relationship between the leaders and the participants and the disciples of the community of God. Now, those who are teaching it all, the only way they got to the place where they were able to teach it all is because they spent time learning to obey it all. And in learning to obey it all, they discovered that he was worth it all. And so teaching it all and sharing it all was a matter of great value to them. And if we don't have people who are both teaching it all and obeying it all, then the mission is not taking shape according to God's plan. Only those who are obeying it all grow to the point where they reach that place where they're ready to share it all. And so here's what I'm trying to say to you, real simply. Jesus says, I want you to obey it all. Every bit of it. If it's comfortable for you, obey. If it's not comfortable for you, obey. If it fits within your family system, obey. If it disrupts your family culture, obey. If you consider it to be safe to do, obey. If it will cause you to paint outside of your normal boundaries, it will walk you into a vulnerable space, obey. I want you to obey it all. This is what he says. Now, I already know what you're thinking. 
I was thinking about what you were thinking about before I got here this morning. I said, I need to address the question before they start thinking about it. Here it is. Well, well, Clark, isn't it true that we can't obey him perfectly? Everybody say yes. So just breathe. I know you're not going to be able to obey him perfectly, but Jesus never said use that as an excuse for not seeking to obey me in every domain of life. You and I will never be sinless, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can sin less and less and less over time. That is what God is doing in our lives. He's given us the capacity to do that which we cannot conceive right now. He's taking us from faith to faith and from glory to glory. But first of all, I've got to seek. I've got to long to obey it all. And when I long to obey it all, he gives me the power to obey him in ways that I have never imagined. Now, I want to share with you three things today. How am I going to obey it all? That's what I want to talk to you about. Here's the first one. We have to realize that Jesus is serious. He is not engaging in hyperbole in this passage. He is not engaging in emotional overstatement. This is not the Psalms. He's serious. And so he says, this is what I want you to do. How do we know he's serious? Well, first of all, we know he's serious because this is what it means to be a disciple. Remember, a disciple is a follower, a student of Christ. In this day and age, a person would attach himself to somebody who would be his teacher, his discipler, and he would do it so that that person would teach him or her how to live. And so the whole goal all along was to adopt the principles, the perspectives, the priorities of the teacher. And this is why Jesus says in Luke chapter 6 and verse 40, when a disciple is fully trained, he looks like his teacher obeying it all was the purpose of discipleship all along. Uh, we know he's serious because this is the motivation of a disciple. People don't, didn't become disciples to argue with the teacher. They didn't become disciples to debate the teacher. They became disciples to uh, do what it was that the teacher thought uh, was important. Even that word in the text, that word in the text for obey, it comes from this Greek term, which means to watch something, to guard something so as to not lose it. And so what he's saying when he says, I want you to obey me, he's saying, I want you to make sure you don't lose sight of my will. I want you to make sure you don't lose sight of my word in daily life. I want you to watch it and guard my purposes as you travel through the normal traffic patterns of your daily experience. Jesus said, why would you call me Lord and do not do what I say? We know Jesus is serious because this is, the, is pivotal to the mission of a disciple to obey it all. Do you know what's happening in this passage? Jesus is actually releasing those that he had spent three years with coaching them on how to obey it all. And he says to them, now you're ready to go share it all. And this is the same pattern that he wants us to follow. This is the same trajectory that he wants our lives to take. He wants us to couple in team building and discipleship building kingdom teams, see, where we're learning how 
to walk with him, learning how to obey it all. And ultimately, we will reach a place where we're able to teach it all to somebody else. Now, not teach all the Bible, but teach all the basics. Teach people how how to pray and how to walk with God in a daily way. How to form spiritual habits and begin to experience God in rich and robust ways in their lives. And so in order to obey it all, a lot of times we are so busy with theological qualifications that we rob a particular text of its meaning. And we've got to realize that Jesus is serious. He's serious. Understand this. If I am picking and choosing what I am going to obey that Christ says then I'm, I'm really not following Jesus. I'm still following myself because I'm selectively deciding with my own reason, my own intellect, what it is that I'm going to do. I am still self-led. Jesus is serious, isn't that right? Here's the next one. We have to recognize the significance of obeying it all. That's why Jesus is so serious about obedience is because of the fact that he realizes and he wants us to realize how significant obedience really is. Now, you, you just witnessed this baptism and it was a beautiful baptism. In fact, let's give God a hand for those who were baptized. Just tremendous. And they have been adequately taught and it was clearly expressed that we are saved by grace through faith alone That is what the scriptures teach, but hear me and hear me well. The quality of your experience with God and my experience with God is determined by obedience. I am saved by faith alone, but faith is never alone. And the quality and extent of my obedience shapes uh, the richness of my relationship with God. Furthermore, it's not just about me. You and I are part of a larger mosaic. We are a part of the movement of God in this generation. And so the mission of God, it becomes more successful. Our reach, the tentacles of the kingdom, extend into the culture more when you and I aggregately are obeying it all. It's significant. The life that you're looking for is on the other side of what it is you're struggling to do for God. It's on the other side. I want to give you my favorite verse today. This is my favorite verse this week. It might not be my favorite verse next week, but this week is my favorite verse in all the Bible. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. I want you to see it. It says this. It says, The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter to the full light of day. But not so with the path of the wicked. It says, but the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. They're following, they're falling rather. And they can't even figure out why they're tripping. Now, I want you to hear what this passage is saying. What he's saying is that the value of righteousness grows over time. The value of righteousness initially is like one beam of light shooting out over the horizon. And righteousness, or better, light, it dismisses the darkness incrementally 
until ultimately there is no more darkness at all, you have the full light of day. <laughs> and so what he's saying is that righteousness grows incrementally and then it starts to snowball. And so God gets better with years when I walk with him over time. But this is not true of the way of the wicked. Their way becomes increasingly dark, increasingly confusing. And they get to a point where in what they used to be certain of, they're no longer certain of, and they're tripping, and they don't even know why they're tripping. Because their way is deep darkness. And yet the path of the righteous becomes increasingly clear. It becomes increasingly less confusing. It becomes increasingly meaningful. And so this is why Jesus starts the journey off by saying, I want you to obey it all. It's because, and the reason why he does this is because when you obey it all, you experience the snowballing effect of righteousness. How many of you have been walking with God for 15, 20, 30 years and you feel like, Oh, my word, like the psalmist, his mercies are new every morning. I'm just now starting to understand God. I'm just now beginning to experience uh, the level of robust joy that I thought I had already experienced when I had been walking with him for 10 years, but he gets better with every passing day and every passing month and every passing year. He's like my wife, Kathy. She gets better with time. Yes. Now, <laughs> I, have to, I have a good friend, great preacher, by the way, from Fellowship Memphis, a friend named Brian Loritz. He says, I, I've got the best barber in town, but I've got two boys, and when I take them to the barber, they come away with two completely different experiences. So I've got the best barber in town. He's amazing. Everybody wants to go to him. But he said, one of my sons, I put him in the barber chair, and he's just the perfect child. The barber says, turn left, he turns left. Barber says, sit up, he sits up, just all obedient, compliant. And he said, when he gets out of that barber chair, whoo, his hair is immaculate. His line is straight. His fade is tight. For those of you who don't know, that means it looks good. It's, it's really even... <laughs> Multiple generations in the in the house. His fade is tight. It looks like he went to the best barber in town. And then he says, I put my other son in the chair. He just, he doesn't like rules. My other son doesn't like rules, don't like being told what to do. Barber tells him to sit, sit up. He slouches further down in the chair. Barber says, listen, I want you to turn your head to the right. He automatically turns his head to the left. He does not like rules. He doesn't like being told what to do. And so he says, my son, my second son gets out of the chair. His line is crooked. His fade is uneven. And if you were to look at them, it looks like they went to two different barbers. But the truth is they had the same barber. Friend, let me tell you something. There are a lot of Christians who have amazing lives. But have you noticed there are a lot of Christians with some jacked up lives? And they sit in the same row on Sunday morning. And if you were to look at them, it looks like they're serving two different gods. It looks like they've got two different barbers, but they have the same barber, but one doesn't know how to sit still in the chair. <laughs> Obedience is what 
enhances the quality of our our spiritual experience. That's why Jesus says, I want you to obey it all because I realize how significant it is. I want people to know that I'm your barber. I want people to know that I am the one you are serving so that you can increasingly look like me. I want to share something with you today that helped me tremendously understand the value of obedience. I read a book by George Barner. It's called Maximum Faith. And he separated the spiritual journey into a number of stops. I like to call them bus stops on the journey. He separated it, separated it into 10 different stops on the journey. And I want you to see them, but I want you to know that every stop requires a new level of obedience. Every stop requires us to say a broader yes to Christ. Ten stops. Here's the first one. Stop one is ignorance of the concept and existence of sin. People who just don't know. Stop two, aware of but indifferent towards sin. Many of you have been there before. I was there. You know how it is, sinking deep in sin, having a wonderful time. You know, we we all had some B.C. days, right? Uh, Here's the next one, stop three, concerned about the implications of personal sin. Not necessarily doing anything about it, but you're starting to realize that sinful patterns are robbing you of joy. But then some people, even though they recognize that they don't pursue spiritual transformation, they pursue therapy or just hide and do nothing. Step, Step four is to confess sins and ask Jesus Christ to be their savior. Most of you in here have done that. Some of you did it recently. A lot of Christians stop right here because they misinterpret salvation as just fire insurance, just being in good hands for eternity. Stop five, a commitment to faith activities. And what this means is that they go to church, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they have learned how to personally engage God day today. There are some people who go to church and they participate in faith activities. They might go to small group. They might come to church almost every Sunday morning. They might even serve in a ministry. But the challenge becomes they don't learn how to engage God day to day. They don't really truly pray. They pray to God like a fireman when they have an emergency or they don't really truly read the Bible. And so their faith is connected solely and their joy in the faith is connected solely to the faith activities. And so when they get used to the faith activities and when the faith activities no longer move them in the same way, they begin to think, well, there's something wrong with the church. I just don't feel the same way. And it's because they don't have that vital connection with God. Now, Barna says that most Christians never get beyond this point. And I want you to think about people that you know. Isn't that true? It's really not a life-giving flow in their lives. Here's the next one. Stop six. Um, experience. They experience prolong, a prolonged period of discontentment. Having no, n- not learned to engage God in a more personal way, they kind of get tired of it all. I mean, they get churched out. They experience church fatigue. Many at this time, they stop going to church. This is the point at which many start saying, well, I need to find me another church, you know, because, you know, Pastor Matt, you know, he just, 
He's just not preaching the word like he used to. And I mean, Pastor Mac is like better than ever, you know? But nobody is eternally impressive except Jesus. And no preacher is Jesus. And so they, they, they think, well, I got to go to another church. Some, they, they, they opt out of the faith because they, they perceive this discontentment as God not satisfying them. Now, they're not really thinking about the fact that they don't pray, they don't really read their Bible, they just come to church, you know. And so they, they have this profound discontentment. There are some who opt out, there are some who go to another church, there are some who do various things, but then there are those who realize the real problem is that I've got to have a more vital connection. And they go deeper, they give God a bigger yes. And those who do this, who obey deeper and broader the will of God, their life gets worse before it gets better. Which leads us to stop seven. They experience personal brokenness. When you go through your season of discontentment and you say, God, I want to do life your way, God says, okay. And he begins to destroy the idols in our lives that have kept us from God that have kept him from being God. Somebody in this room, that's where you are right now. You've been wondering what's wrong with you. Nothing wrong with you. God is destroying the idols. Nothing wrong with you. And when God starts destroying the idols, it's usually the worst period of our lives. For most people, it happens in their mid-30s to early 40s. God starts destroying the idols. For those whose idols are sex, they get an STD. For those who, who have an idol of a career, they get laid off or they get fired. If your idol is your company, your entrepreneur, there's a downturn in the economy. For me, my idol was preaching. Preaching and pastoring, I thought I was God's answer to the whole world. You know what, you know what happened to me? I got depressed. I thought I was dying. I thought God was taking me out of the ministry. I laid on my couch for weeks because I had worked myself into a depression. I went to the doctor. The doctor said, Pastor Clark, you're depressed. I said, I can't be depressed. I'm saved. She said, listen, I don't know how saved you are, but I know you're depressed. (laughs) It was the worst season of my life, but God was teaching me that he did not need me He was just using me, that he did not need me to rescue everybody. And I gave God his church back. (laughs) Oh, I just love preaching, though. Golly, gee. I just love it. And somebody here, that's where you are. Nothing wrong with you. God is saying, I will be God. I will be God in your life. And before you get out of here, you're going to recognize what it means to know the living God. I am not here to support your dreams. I'm here to give you a dream, a dream that is worthy of my support. Stop eight. Choosing to surrender and submit to God fully. Now, it gets better, but not not much, because now you've learned to say no to your dream. There's a conflict there. 
and you're adjusting to God in ways that you never thought you could adjust to God. For many of us, God has been Santa Claus. He just he's there just to support us. And we, you know, we put in our little little request and God is so kind. He's just like a big granddaddy in the sky. And he just gives us what we want. And at this point, God said, no, I want to be God now. I want to be God. We're through the honeymoon phase. I'm your God. You listen to me. And there's a period of adjustment. And then step nine and ten. Here it is. Enjoying profound intimacy with and love for God. Now, it's not that we didn't love God before. It's just that it was puppy love. Our love for God was arranged around what he was going to do for us. But now we love whatever God wants. God says, jump. We say, how high, God? God says, go right. Okay. God says, turn your head left and be still. Okay. Now it's about God. It's not about me. It's not about what God is doing for me. It's about what I'm doing for him. Step 10, experiencing profound compassion and love for humanity. Because when I love God, I can't help but to love people. God is always moving toward people. And the more I love God, the more I move toward people, not away from people. The more I expose myself to people, not hide from people. <clears throat> and we ultimately get to the place where Jesus said, I wanted, us, wanted you to be all alone, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Friend, where are you in that journey? Where are you? It took the disciples three years to get to the point. And I don't know if they were at step nine and ten, but I know that they were bumping on that door when Jesus left them. It took them three years to get to the place where they were not looking for God to be some cosmic Santa Claus, but they were ready to say yes in every domain of their lives. And they were ready to love people in ways that were costly, in ways that disrupted uh, their normal patterns. Are you at that point yet? If you're not there, how long is it going to take you to get there? Hmm? How long? How long have you been walking with God so far? 20 years? Are you there yet? He says, I want you to obey it all. To obey it all, I've got to recognize the significance of it. It's going to take a broader yes, a broader surrender to go to the next place. Let me, let me close with this last one. To obey it all, I've got to rearrange the shape of my life. Now, obeying it all is, a, is obeying a lot of stuff, isn't it? I mean, I, that means I've got to be a good neighbor and a good husband. <clears throat> At the same time. <laughs> Simultaneously. I mean, I got to pay taxes and tithes. Both. That's a lot. And so how do we even begin to wrap our, our hearts around and our lives around obeying it all? I want you to stop and think about that. If that is my goal, it kind of really calibrates my life differently because if I'm trying to obey it all, that means the only way to do it is to be all in. I mean, I got to give all of myself. But you know what? How many of you discovered that you can't do this by yourself? Absolutely. And so not only do I have to be all in, but I've got to have the support of other people around me who are all in. And then I've got to have, because that won't be enough, I've got to have all of God that I can have. And so I want you to start thinking about, as we, as we push toward a close today, this. What is it going to take for you to obey it all? 
How does your life have to change? How does your marital life have to change? How does your financial life have to change to obey it all? If you were really passionate about obeying it all, I mean, and you really put pen to paper, and this became your strategy in life to reach step nine and ten, which only a very few people get to, truly, what would that mean for your spiritual practices? How would that change how you come to church? How would that change your small group relationships? How would that change your commitment to small group? What would it look like for you to obey it all? But don't just think about the things that have to change. Also, think about all the things you will gain. (laughs) Think about how much better your marriage would be and think about how much better your career life would be and think about how much more contentment you would have. Think about how much more confident you would be. Stop and consider what it would be like to let go of the shame and to no longer be trapped by fear and to walk in spiritual conviction like never before. What would that be like? Don't just consider the alterations. Consider the transformations and the destiny that God will give. I'm trying. (laughs) Friend, that's a whole lot to gain. Why wouldn't we obey it all when you think about it? Why wouldn't we? (laughs) He's worthy of it. He's worthy of all of who we are. Why wouldn't we obey it all? Those who live for fun find life increasingly less fun. Those who live for safety find life to be increasingly more vulnerable. But blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight, her delight, is in the law of the Lord. In this law he meditates day and night, and he will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields his fruit in season, and whatever he does prospers, because the conviction is to obey it all. How are you going to get started? I... uh, I saw this story. This is it. I promise this is it. (laughs) Paul said finally about four times in Philippians. This is the fourth finally, okay? (laughs) I saw this story. Bill Knox came up with a way of bowling. He called it spot bowling. Those of you who are bowlers, you know what I'm talking about. Instead of trying to aim at the pins at the end of the lane, what he said was the best thing to do was to just focus on the mark close to you. And to demonstrate how potent that was as a strategy, Knox had a lot of people come covered with screens, the pins, and he could not see the pins at the end of the lane. All he did was bow focusing on the mark nearby. How am I going to obey it all? I'm going to realize trying to focus on all the pins is it's overwhelming. All I have to do today is hit the mark nearby. All I have to do is obey him today. And before I know it, I'll be knocking more pins down than I ever imagined. Bill Knox, when he played that spot bowling game, he bowled a perfect game. I'm not putting any pressure on you because you can't do that. (laughs) But you know what what will happen? Not only will you knock more pins down than you ever dreamed, 
you'll see all the perfections of God. And the signature of God will be on your life. Everybody stand to your feet all over the building. If you're here today, you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. Never embraced his love. If you're here, I want you to come to the Lord Jesus today. This is the moment of invitation. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed, even as you stand. If you're here today, you never accepted him, but you want to. You want him to be your leader and forgiver in life. I want you to just kindly, nobody's looking, just me and Jesus. I want you to raise your hand. Raise them real high. Let me see where you are. Let me see where you are. You need to embrace Jesus in the balcony on this main floor. Let me see your hand. Anybody here need to embrace Christ? Need to start over with God. One over here. Who else? Somebody in the, in the balcony. Let me see your hand. Raise it high. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Got you, my friend. So here's what I want us to do. I want to pray a prayer with you, and I know when you pray this prayer, you're going to mean it with every part of who you are. As we pray this prayer, we're going to invite Jesus to be your leader and forgiver. You're going to get to know him today. Why don't we all pray it together? Can we do that? Say, Dear Lord Jesus, we are in need of a Savior. We've sinned against you. And we know our sins have broken your heart. But we come to you now, giving you our lives, giving you who we are. We ask for your forgiveness, and we receive the life that you have for us, Lord Jesus. Save us now. Forgive us now. Give us life now. In Jesus' name. Amen. We welcome you home. Come on, everybody, clap for those who embrace Christ. God bless you.